A reading from Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the towns to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. The land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined towns are now inhabited and fortified. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel ask me to do this for them, to increase their population like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed festivals, so shall the ruined towns be filled with flocks of people. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. A reading from Thessalonians. We had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, that we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you. As you know, we dealt with one another like you, a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead life worthy of God, who calls you unto his own kingdom and glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory be to thee, Lord Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech thee, a lamb of thine own flock, a sheep of thine own fold, a sinner of thine own redemption. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Feast of St. Patrick's Day transferred. And of course, yesterday was the proper feast. Don't worry, we won't be having any green communion wine today. Um, it turns out that on a saint's day, the color is not green, it's red. And red signifies the larger light that they shone, not the witness of their blood, the light that they shone in the world. Think about on Pentecost, right? Tongues of fire, which enabled disciples to speak in different languages, and there really is no one more fitting for different languages, it turns out, than good old Patrick. If you're worried why we aren't in Lenten array, don't worry, Sundays in Lent are feast days anyway. The secret they never told you is that if you give up chocolate for Lent, you can have it on Sundays because you still get 40 days. Darn it, and there's only two weeks left. I wish you'd bet you'd known that five weeks ago. So about Patrick, we never get to hear about Patrick in general because he's in the middle of Lent, but I hope the reflection on Patrick today uh, will remind us where the Lenten journey is supposed to lead us all anyway. So I hope this informs your Lenten discipline and piety. And it's helpful to tell you at the outset that um, when we read ancient histories, we have to remember that uh, ancient historiographers weren't as interested in getting every morbid detail right in sequence as we are. What they were interested in doing was presenting compelling pictures of people so that we might follow in their footsteps. So when you hear the history of Francis or Patrick, know that there is a little bit of faithfulness built into the narrative they're trying to inspire in you. How you cut fact or fiction, I don't know. So here's what we know, and, and depends on which story you read. Patrick was, forgive me for saying this, British. Now let me tell you, that could mean he was Welsh or Scottish or English. <laughs> and I will refer to all three possibilities because we have people from there in the congregation who might claim Patrick. He was not Irish, though. This is important. He lived somewhere in coastal, the large part of Great Britain, and he was Roman. His father was a Christian priest, and interestingly enough, Patrick grew up going to church, but it just wasn't for him. So all those Sundays in church, the liturgy washed over him unawares. One of his favorite things to do as a boy was to go to the sea, night or day, and just take in the view. And when he turned 16, he went out one fateful evening, breathed the sea air, and then saw the scariest thing possible, which was a boat with small torches coming ashore. And that, of course, meant raiders. Raiders who came and ultimately burned his town, sacked it, and along with the goods and commodities, put Patrick into a bag <laughs> and rowed him back across the Irish Sea, where he would spend at least six years being a slave. 
Um, it turns out the hills where Patrick spent his six years of slavery watching sheep are still inhabited by shepherds today, the Gilfillans informed me this morning. Uh, and the interesting thing was, at the time, uh, Romans thought that the Gaelic language was a barbarian language. That is, it sounded to them like bar, 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 bar. The origin of the word barbarian, right? And so very few Romans or Britons, or Scots, or Welsh folks could speak Gaelic, interestingly enough, the Gaelic of Ireland. And Patrick was one of the first people to intentionally not only learn the commands of his masters, but to learn the language. Six years in to being a slave shepherd. All six years, Patrick found this really interesting experience the prayers that had just washed over him that he had never really focused on had somehow wound their way into his psyche and now they came to his lips and to his mind with renewed urgency but also with renewed meaning it was in the middle of keeping the sheep for his slave masters that patrick converted to christianity and as part of his conversion, those prayers became not just subconscious, but conscious before him. And six years into the service, he had a dream. A dream that was extremely specific. It had a, a sort of a map of where to go. And at the end of that where to go, there would be a boat waiting on the coast of Ireland to sail, sail him back across the Irish Sea to either Wales, Scotland, or Britain. <laughs> he went. And sure enough, there was a boat. The captain said, we don't take escaped slaves. And again, according to what you read, there were some exquisite hunting animals that the captain was going to take to either Wales, Scotland, or Britain and sell to the highest bidder. And when Patrick was turned away and left, the dogs started barking and baying and whining. And so the dogs saved Patrick. The captain chased him down and said, please come back for the sake of the dogs and our sanity. And so they sailed Patrick back. When they got back to Scotland or Wales or Britain, they could not find anything to eat. The coastline had been ravaged. They had gone to the mark they wanted, but the city had been burned. And so they went almost 28 days with nothing to eat and finally the captain said to Patrick look if you believe in this God how about a prayer you know we could really use some food and Patrick prayed and then a herd of boar showed up and they ate very well eventually Patrick found his way back to his home city which was located in either Scotland Wales or Britain and upon doing that he decided he needed to further his studies and he joined the seminary ultimately became a priest and a bishop. Alongside the way, depending on who you read, Patrick did some really interesting work in making the Gaelic language of Ireland writable, recognizable, and understandable to the Romans. He became an advocate for the culture of his slave masters. And sure enough, because Patrick was prone to dreams, he had a dream in which an Irish man named Victoria showed up with a bundle of sort of Celtic mail and said, that's M-A-I-L, and said to Patrick, you are the voice of the Irish, come and save us. 
And so Patrick decided that he would go back to Ireland, this time as a bishop. But not only was he going to go to convert the Druids, his goal was to go back and make life larger for the Irish people. So he brought with him not only a Bible and a chalice for the Eucharist, he brought with him farmers who knew how to teach Irish people advanced farming techniques that they did not know. Builders, urban planners. Patrick's idea was not just to make a religious conversion, his idea was to make life for the Irish larger. Now, if you know just what you hear on TV, Patrick clad himself in green and um, had soda bread and then the rest went swimmingly. But it turns out actually Patrick had pretty mixed success. Uh, Not a lot of people were that impressed with Patrick. Uh, There was financial scandal. Some people accused Patrick of financial impropriety. He had lots of different run-ins with people. And again, this is where you don't know. The things that people were most interested in when they write these histories are things you probably would, you know, kind of have the cynical response to, like, once upon a time in a village, someone stole a sheep and ate it. How could they figure out the thief? Patrick prayed, and the sheep bad from within the belly of the thief. This is proof of his sainthood. Patrick liked to walk through and venerate crosses. Every time he saw a cross, he would venerate the cross and genuflect. And one day, there was a big prominent cross over a grave, and Patrick did not venerate it. And the people thought, Patrick, what's wrong with your piety? And the dead man cried out, I don't deserve the cross. I'm a pagan sinner. (laughs) And Patrick took the cross away. You can read stories like these. Of course, the most famous symbol of Patrick is the shamrock, which we often forget is a three-leaf clover, not a four-leaf, each leaf representing a personae of the Trinity with a common stem, right? Three distinct leaves united in their stem, which is why you'll see the three-leaf clover on the flag of Ireland, not the four-leaf clover. That's the shamrock, three leaves. Did Patrick really do that? according to the stories, right? So this is, this is what we live in. What we know about Patrick that I think is pretty fantastic is that this is a man who was literally taken away in a bag and served as a slave for six years. And then after he was able to develop as a professional, as a priest, he wanted to make life bigger for the very people that had made his smaller. I think that's probably the point of Lent, (laughs) just to be honest with you, is that God is able to reconcile irreconcilable relationships. God would like to do that. We may not be ready. (laughs) We may never be ready in this lifetime, which is why it's really interesting to read Patrick's confession. You know, back in those days, and we're talking sometime in the 5th century, that is the 400s, people weren't really writing diaries revealing their inner anxieties and feelings and thoughts and prejudices. Uh, St. Augustine did in the Confessions, 
Patrick did. He wrote his own confessions, which don't really tell you much about his success, but tell you about his interior uh, landscape. And of course, what Patrick sort of did was said, when he died, God was going to do the reconciliation anyway. So why not go ahead while he was still alive? Because after all, Patrick might be able to enjoy it. (laughs) Surely that's why we have Lent. And surely that's why we get to hear this morning in the gospel, not only the Great Commission, which is go to all nations, which could mean geographic, but could certainly also mean the very people that have done us harm, proclaiming good news. Not just that there is a religious box that they could check that would make them more like us, but that God has larger life for all of us. Some of the disciples, upon seeing the risen Jesus, did you notice? They had their doubts. (laughs) He was right in front of them, and they had their doubts. Now, I like to think, I would not have my doubts. I'm sure I would. I'm sure I'd have my doubts if God said, go to the people who have hurt you and practice being larger life for them. I have to tell you, there are some relationships in which I am not ready to do that. It would not be safe for me. But I wonder if I sometimes, if I sometimes don't write off reconciliation because I say, ah, it's not safe, when really I just don't want to do it. I wonder if relent isn't about taking on relationships we thought were irreconcilable so that God might surprise us. I know God would surprise them, and isn't that the kind of surprise the world really needs? Reconciliation, when we thought there could be none? Maybe you're not ready this Lent. I don't know if I am, which is why we'll have it again next year. (laughs) And the year after that. And if we don't make it in this lifetime, God will do it for us anyway when we die, which is exactly why we shouldn't wait. So you've got two weeks till Easter and you're supposed to be all done with this. Maybe you do it in two weeks. Maybe you do it in this lifetime. Thanks be to God that God is great enough to do it with or without our permission. And I hope you'll give God your permission so that you can enjoy that larger life God has for each and every one of us right now. We're going to do something a little different today than Nicene Creed, and I'm going to encourage you to take a deep breath before we do it. It's quite long. That's the breastplate of St. Patrick. It is actually a rewritten Druid um, incantation. Uh, This is the kind of thing that Druids would bind themselves to different Druidic gods, but Patrick did this in the 400s, and you will see very much of the creed in it. So I invite you to renew your faith with me, standing as you're able, as we bind ourselves to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I bind to myself today 